Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times that, uh, with another jam-packed edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk about everything going down in the world of AEW and NXT. But this week, we have a little bit of a twist because it's not just AEW and NXT we will be talking about, but New Japan Professional Wrestling as well. We have the AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview coming on today's show as the build finally wrapped up for the first uh, co-promotional a co-branded pay-per-view between these two companies. So clearly, we have an absolute ton to discuss on today's show. I am not going to waste any time out of the gate. Allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is So what does that mean? That means we are all about those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're also about on Apple Podcasts you guys leaving us a five-star written review so that everyone knows why you listen and subscribe to this podcast. And we have had a great streak, not only of five-star ratings and reviews coming in, but those reviews being written out to the point that I am able to read them on the show, which I do every single time we get a new five-star review. And we did get another one from Punk RHS 2003, Best Analysis. I've been listening to Adam since the CBS podcast days. They provide the most complete review of the current product out there. They give props when props are due and a critique when it's due. Also, great podcast, exclamation point. Guess what, Punk RHS 2003? Great review, exclamation point. Thank you so much for that five-star review. Also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we tweet as soon as every new show gets published, We tweet live during the major American television shows and, of course, every pay-per-view. And we also post pre- and post-show polls ahead of and after pay-per-views. That way you all get to weigh in with your pre- and post-show grades that we discuss here on the podcast. Now, what we normally do ahead of pay-per-views is do a live pre-show 30 minutes before a kickoff show or a buy-in, whatever you want to call it, begins. I am not yet sure whether we are going to have one for Forbidden Door. There are a number of factors at play. For one, vintage Chris Vanini will not be able to join, so the Silver King would theoretically be operating solo for it. I've done that before. I also have a couple plans that day, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be home, if I'm going to be around. But check our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast, and we will go ahead and post on Sunday before this pay-per-view begins if we are going to have a live show. I absolutely love interacting with all of you uh, before major pay-per-views when we do these shows. So I do hope that uh, we have the opportunity to bring you one of these on Sunday. But either way, no matter whether we have that live show on Twitter spaces or not, we will have an instant analysis podcast of AEW and JPW Forbidden Door right here on this feed. So you are absolutely not going to want to miss that. Speaking of things that you should not be missing, by the way, the last like Four episodes of Getting Over are cannot miss episodes. Everything from the Vince McMahon investigation to the returns of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar in WWE. Some crazy news that's happening in the world 
of course, of WWE. Um, we had an interview with Raquel Rodriguez. And yeah, look, this episode also is pretty huge as well, just because of everything that is going on in the world of AEW, everything that happened Wednesday night, and a lot of shit happened Wednesday night. Now, this is how the show is going to break down, just so everyone is aware and that we are all exactly on the same page. Now, the Silver King is going to open things up with a breakdown of NXT, then we're going to move to AEW, and then at the end of the show, we're going to do the AEW and JPW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview. This is the same format we would use for any other Ultimate Preview show. We always do that at the end. That is why we are kicking off today with NXT. But as always, all you need to do is check our episode descriptions. There will be timestamps for every segment of the show. That way, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, you know, closer to Forbidden Door, Saturday, Sunday, you want to just get the Ultimate Preview, you will be able to skip directly to that segment if you want. But as always, I always say, I hope you guys listen to the entire show. I should also note that Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining me for the AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview. It really is a mouthful. That's why I'm saying it so slow. He will be joining us for that. He is not with us for the beginning portion of the show. So stay tuned for Chris. He will be joining us in a little bit. So with that, let's move into NXT. And there really is a mini main event topic here that we can discuss before we actually get into breaking down the television program from Tuesday and, of course, what it means for Great American Bash coming up in a couple weeks. And that news story is that Paul Levesque, Triple H, reportedly uh, visited the WWE Performance Center this week and told the Performance Center people, told the NXT people that were in attendance at a meeting, basically, I'm back. Like he did the Michael Jordan. I'm back. I'm in. You know, I'm here. Now, there's really been no further reporting as to what else he said in the meeting, whether he expanded on those terms um, or or gave detail into what his plans are. He said that he was there for business meetings, apparently. But it is notable, certainly, that Paul is down in NXT or was down in NXT and went ahead and said that to the people gathered there. So anything that we talk about now, obviously, would be just complete and total speculation. We know what he's doing with the NIL program, how he's helping to find and acquire talent for WWE. That really has not changed. But what has changed drastically since his heart issues and since his time off and and coming back is NXT. And obviously moved from black and gold to 2.0. The focus of it became completely developmental rather than acquiring the best possible indie talent and putting them front and center and putting on a show that, in my opinion, the Black and Gold NXT uh, was unmatched in quality in terms of professional wrestling in the United States for a very, very, very long period of time. And now it has changed. Now, you have to remember when NXT first started, it was under Triple H and it was a developmental program. It just happens to have been that over the years, it kind of transitioned. Now, I don't necessarily expect that he's coming in here and there's going to be some drastic change. The colors are going to disappear. They're going to go back to full sale, black and gold. Uh, They're going to re-sign Adam Cole when his contract ends. You know, these are all things that, you know, I certainly don't expect to necessarily happen. But what I do think could immediately happen is him joining Shawn Michaels and helping with the booking and the development of talent, choosing who gets featured, things that apparently Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard had been had tasked themselves with doing and kind of directing Sean on here's who we want in the main events. So you go ahead and book and do creative around it. 
But even beyond those things, I think what the potential return of Paul Levesque could add is just the consistency. The having someone not in Sean's position, but in an executive position when people get called up or if they're going to get released or whatever the case, to ensure that that stuff doesn't happen until storylines are completed. Um, when they do get called up, having their back and pushing for them to retain their character or retain their gimmick, uh, not get saddled with something perhaps like Pete Dunn did when he gets called up and we're really excited to see him there. And then he's Butch. And even though Butch is like kind of working a lot better than many of us probably would have expected, it's certainly not Pete Dunn. You know, it's not the guy that we wanted getting called up to the main roster. Same thing with Tommaso Champ. It's like, it's great. He's there. But what the hell is he doing? He's working as a heavy for the Miz when he's much smaller than the Miz and like, like, and he doesn't speak and we don't know anything about him. Right. So the one thing that you could kind of trust when Paul was in NXT, it wasn't necessarily that the main roster wouldn't quote unquote ruin someone, but it was that they're handling the transition would be better. And, and we, we saw that because even people that didn't work out on the main roster, like an Alistair Black or something, he came up largely as himself. Other people um, came up largely as themselves and maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but we didn't necessarily have to worry about drastic changes. Something like Piper Nevin becoming Dewdrop or Pete Dunn becoming Butch, things that we are now seeing. So that's my hope. Uh, you know, there's nothing that I've ever said on this podcast that probably has been negative about Paul Levesque being part of NXT, right? Like it's always been extremely positive. My experience is working with him, speaking with him, interviewing him, um, attending calls and events that he's done, and certainly seeing the product that was created in the WWE Performance Center and put on the network and eventually put on television in NXT. That is content and, and wrestling that spoke to me as a professional wrestling fan, as a sports entertainment fan. So any amount of that that is able to come back to the product as it is now, that's a huge boon. And there is one more thing to say, which is that NXT 2.0, after its extremely rough start, and I've said it numerous times, those first two weeks were an absolute disaster. And really the first like month, month and a half, it was legitimately bad to terrible. It has now become a very watchable, relative quality program. There are still a lot of parts, and you're going to hear me talk about it today, where there's nonsensical booking or gimmicks that are just not right for 2022. They're not going to get over, but they're still doing them. Or there's talent that's on the screen that isn't really ready for prime time. They shouldn't be on cable television at this point, even though it is a developmental brand. They should be on level up, still working, you know, making their way up to NXT. So there is a lot of that still going on. But from top to bottom, the two hours of NXT each week, they fly by for me. And there's usually much more on the show that is entertaining and worthy of my time than the opposite. So that kind of brings us into this week's NXT, where the last two weeks, I think I've told you guys, I found them to be extremely strong shows. This week took a step back. I would say it was 50% of the strong show, largely because of lacking logic and some nonsensical booking decisions that truly bother me. I think you guys know, like, if there's a bad match on TV, I usually don't care that much about it. Like, if it's a 12-minute match and it's just bad wrestling, I'll criticize it, but I'm not going to, like, get upset by it. But illogical booking, nonsensical storytelling, and just straight-up poor decision-making, 
I'm going to hammer after that every single time. And there was unfortunately a good amount of that on NXT this week. So we're going to break down the good, the bad, and the ugly, as we always do. We're going to start right now. And as I said earlier, once we wrap up with NXT, we will bring vintage Chris Vanini in and we will go ahead and do the AEW and JPW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview. So as I said, NXT, let's just get started with the main event. It was Carmelo Hayes against Tony D'Angelo for the North American Championship. The Don had cut a promo backstage saying Electra Lopez is doing what they had told her to be doing, which, by the way, I had been wondering where the hell she was, and that really wasn't a great explanation, but nevertheless. Uh, Then he confirmed Santos Escobar knows the plan on what they're doing with her and for the match later in the night. He, as in Escobar, confirmed he did know the plan, and D'Angelo said, hey, look, If I don't walk out with the title, there is going to be hell to pay. Mello later said that the only thing that's going to be next for D'Angelo is he's going to take an L. So late in the match, and the first half of the match was forgettable, D'Angelo started teeing off on Mello when he finally caught him with a code breaker for a near fall. There was a really awesome roll through backdrop by D'Angelo. And you could make an argument. It's the single best move he's done in his entire NXT career. It was so fluid and so just sharp. It was really super cool. D'Angelo called for brass knuckles from Escobar. He hesitated and slid them past D'Angelo to Hayes, who picked them up. The family was distracting the referee. Mello cold cocked and pinned D'Angelo, then winking at Escobar after the one, two, three. And D'Angelo, of course, was angry as hell after the bell rhyme not intended. So look, this was fine. Uh, The match was nothing special. The idea that management would allow a five-on-one ringside advantage in a title match was silly to me. It would have been better if it was only Escobar and Trick Williams at ringside. That would have made a lot more sense. You could have had Escobar slide the knucks over, then distract the referee, and you're good as gold. You didn't need any more than that. But the wrestling was good in spots, and I'm glad the Escobar turn happened quickly because this just wasn't something that was going to work long term. It was a really appropriate ending to a show that was a mixed bag. There was no expectation from me of a top-tier match entering the show, so they basically met my expectations with what we got in the ring. Now, hopefully Hayes can move on to someone bigger and better because look, the D'Angelo gimmick, it's really wearing on me. I've said numerous times, it's fine in the short term. It is not a long-term character. It is not going to work on the main roster. It's just one note. And I've also said this before, but Mello should have never won back the North American Championship. He should have moved into the main event scene to eventually take the title off Braun Breaker. So I'm just glad this little mini feud is over. I'm sure between Grayson Waller and Solo Sokoa, which we'll talk about them in a moment, I'm sure they will emerge as challengers soon. And hopefully we get a title change there. But Mello is just so far beyond the North American title right now that he just feels saddled by it. And there's many other things he could be doing that would be a lot more interesting, both going after the main title and also just not going after a title and entering a different type of feud. Wesley entered the ring to make some kind of statement while looking really forlorn. He was also wearing a shirt that made him look like he was in the cast of In Living Color. Those of you from the 90s will get that reference. Uh, He got a really big ovation before saying he went from being a two-time NXT Tag Team Champion to seeing their world, him and of course his former partner Nash Carter, their world disintegrate. He tried to force some tears and said what he was doing when he was fighting against Zion Quinn and Sangha, he was trying to prove he could stand on his own two feet. So Trick Williams interrupted him, clowned him, and suggested he was at fault for everything that happened. West said Trick plays second fiddle and has no hype whatsoever for himself. Trick then said he'll fight when he's ready, and he left Wes 
saying that he was going to leave West just like his friends did. So I've been saying for weeks that we really needed clarity on Wesley, what the hell was going on with his gimmick. And we finally got it here. He did well. It wasn't great, but it was perfectly good. And it was nice to see Trick getting a solo feud for a change. Trick Williams is someone who needs that opportunity not to always be directly next to Mello and allowing Trick to be on his own here, allowing Wesley to get a big win over Trick, all of that together is going to be very positive. So sticking with the people involved in this feud, we had Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp against Legato del Fantasma in a tag team match. Legato came out to the D'Angelo family entrance. Strong smacked Kemp, which lit a fire under his ass. Cruz del Toro hit a springboard missile dropkick on Strong for a near fall. Two Dimes accidentally tripped del Toro when he meant to take out Strong, allowing Roddy to hit a lifted knee for the win. The Guidos then blamed Legato for the loss when it was clearly their own fault. Uh, this was good wrestling. It was uneventful. What's important to note is the last two weeks of NXT have been taped shows. So Two Dimes, who has been released from WWE, appeared on both shows and played a role in both shows. Now, given the fact that he screwed up this match, it's actually a really easy piece of storytelling next week for them to be like, you know, he screwed up the match, he screwed us, and we're kicking him out, right? Like, that's super easy. So they can do that, or he can just disappear and they cannot mention it. But NXT generally tends to mention when someone disappears or offhandedly mentioned. They did it with Indy Hartwell and Dexter, um, not Dexter Loomis, uh, Duke Hudson. And they've certainly done it with Wesley recently. So here we go again. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with the D'Angelo family not having two dimes there next week. I also mentioned the North American Championship. We had Solo Sokoa against Grayson Waller, which I don't think was a number one contendership match, but it seemed like a de facto number one contendership match. Uh, this opened the show. Waller said he's the greatest first-generation talent ever and kept talking shit. So Sokoa attacked him before the bell. Sokoa dodged a running clothesline from Waller outside, but worked from under for a while during the match. Sokoa hit a corner hip attack, then countered Waller's rolling cutter directly into a Samoan drop, which was a really cool sequence. Solo eventually went back first into an exposed turnbuckle with Waller hitting the rolling cutter for the win in 15 minutes. I personally had missed while the match was going on that the turnbuckle was ever exposed. And the idea that someone's back going into this tiny little piece of metal was enough to be debilitating and like have him rocked and then he eats the rolling cutter without any defense. To me, that's a bit ridiculous. I'm not sure Waller, I'm not sure why Waller went over Sokoa here when Solo seems like he's been next in line for the North American title is a baby face. Mello's a tweener at best. So why wouldn't you have the baby face win and take the title on Great American Bash? Like that's what they should be doing. So even though I disagree with the booking, it was a really strong opening match with two of the top prospects on the brand. So I went ahead and gave it 3.25 stars and a B. We had Caden Carter and Katana Chance against Ulisa Leon and Valentina Feroz. It was really cool to see both teams wearing matching gear. The Casey's did a nice assisted tilt-a-whirl moonsault for a broken fall, but then Katana hit the assisted lifted 450 for the win. Fun match as usual with these four. Really no other takeaway. As always, the KC should be called up to the main roster. Later in the show, Toxic Attraction entered for a promo with Gigi Dolan actually getting solo chance, which I thought was interesting. I'm assuming it's because she was injured uh, the last time the crowd saw her because again, they taped this stuff. So I'm sure they were cheering because she was healthy and she was okay, but I don't know that to be the case. Uh, Mandy Rose called Indy Hartwell, Roxanne Perez, and Cora Jade losers, despite them actually winning against them last week in that six-woman uh, tag team match. Dolan promised a toxic reality check 
JC Jane said they should all be looking up to Toxic. Perez and Jade entered. Rose told Perez that a few wins doesn't mean that she gets a title match. Then Mandy realized like Roxanne has the contract and like doubled back and fixed her line. Perez said she earned her dreams and they are even better dreams. They are that that is when you share them with a friend. Then she announced that she'll use the contract on the tag team titles. That, for some reason, brought out the KC's baby faces who said the line starts behind them. Then Jade points out, you guys just lost a title match at In Your House. So they jawed more. And then the KC's, again, I remind you, baby faces, attacked until the officials separated them. So, okay, first of all, before I get into like the other stuff, Mandy Rose was again atrocious on the mic. That's two weeks in a row. But this creative did not make a shred of sense. And what's worse is that we're being pessimistic when predicting this across the last few weeks. Like, I told you guys, I thought it was legitimately possible that Roxanne Perez would cash in this contract for a tag team title match instead of a singles match with Mandy Rose. And I didn't say that because I wanted it to happen. I said it because that's what everything on television was pointing to. The fact that out of nowhere, she suddenly become friends with Cora Jade on air, where we never really knew that they had any relationship prior. But in the middle of the breakout tournament, they start getting shown together, and then she wins it solo, and now she's going to use the contract for a tag team championship match. So the first nonsensical part is that, again, Roxanne would take a contract she won on her own and use it in a tag team match where her partner can cost her the title that she won the opportunity to go after. Now, perhaps that can be explained as like naivete, given she's 19 years old, but it doesn't make it any less dumb. The second nonsensical piece was that the KCs, I will repeat a third time, baby faces, were accusing them of cutting the line. Roxanne literally has a contract for a title match to make it even worse, as if this booking could not have been worse. For next week's show, NXT announced a number one contendership match. Again, let me repeat, Roxanne has a contract that she wants to use for the women's tag team titles. Why does she need to earn a number one contendership when she has the contract? She made her decision. What the hell is going on here? Am I in the loony bin? Like, I, I, none of this, none of this makes a shred of sense. I couldn't help but shake my head at how poorly this was put together. At the very least, the heels should have goaded Roxanne into doing this instead of it being her own decision. Look, if the titles ultimately change hands and Toxic slowly loses their championships, I'll be happy. But there's really no other way to grade this than to call it a zero. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. The only other way that this could be saved, and I do believe that this would save it, is if the number one contendership next week is in lieu of a contract cash-in. So in other words, you do the number one contendership, Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez win, become number one contenders, get a title match at Great American Bash, but Roxanne still retains her contract because there isn't now a number one contendership match. So again, that's the only way to kind of save it. 
I still think it's nonsensical and completely ridiculous. So then we got Indy Hartwell backstage, who was preparing to discuss how she's gaining momentum when Kiana James interrupted, saying Indy gives the women's division a bad name because she's weak-minded and cannot succeed on her own. Hartwell said no one gives a shit about her and no one likes a bitch. So they will obviously fight next week. Indy, I thought was good as usual. Kiana continues to be rough on this mic. This gimmick, the stat nerd, it's ridiculous. It doesn't work. Give her something else. Moving back to the matches, we had Cameron Grimes against Idris Anofe. Grimes was booting Anofe with yes kicks when he sat up straight and demanded more. Anofe came back with a draping pump knee and a tope con hero. Uh, this got a this is awesome chant from the crowd before Anofe missed a 450 and Grimes caught him with an around the world style Uranagi, followed by Caven for the win in six minutes. Grimes lifted Anofe up after the loss, shook his hand, and gave him a hug. I've said it numerous times. Anofe. He remains in that upper crust of NXT prospects. The ceiling is extremely high with him. I thought we'd get more here from Grimes verbally as their interaction last week backstage, it was superb, but they didn't really build on it directly. I was also surprised given I thought Grimes had made a full heel turn that it's much more of a tweener situation because he picked him up after the bell and dusted him off. And that was clearly showing respect. And that's not necessarily something he would be doing if he was a flat out heel, he would brush his, you know, the dirt from his feet on him or something like that. He wouldn't have gone to that length. So because of that, I wanted more interaction. I wanted them to bump into each other later backstage. Hey, man, keep your head up. Good thing you're not partying this week like you were going to do last week. You know, something to continue it. I wanted more meat on the bone. We didn't get it. Instead, what we did get was Braun Breaker saying a little bit later backstage that he was impressed with this version of Grimes. So Grimes said if Breaker faces this version of Grimes, Braun's going to drop the title at Great American Bash. It was a really good short interaction, but it didn't exactly further the storyline. And I will say, coming off of that absolutely terrible Joe Gacy feud that just went on too long and it got worse and worse as it continued, Braun needs something like refreshing and different and not having him on television, which by the way, he wasn't on television a lot during the Gacy feud. That the NXT championship storyline felt like the third or fourth most important thing on NXT. And it felt like that again on this edition of NXT. He's the champion. This guy should be in the main storyline. And now that he's working against Cameron Grimes, someone who is totally capable on the mic and in the ring, this needs to be featured. It should be the opening segment. It should be the main event, the mid-show main event, something. Instead, they're just these really quick one-off reactions. Again, there should be more meat on the bone to chew building into a main event match for Great American Bash in a couple of weeks. Alba Fire fought Lash Legend. Lash countered a gory bomb into a double underhook suplex. Fire eventually came back with the gory bomb, but Legend rolled away from the swanton bomb attempt and forced a disqualification by jabbing Fire in the throat with her own red bat. I, I just thought it was idiotic. Why are you doing the match if we're not getting a clean finish? So they can fight again? Like Lash does not need to be protected. She's a neophyte. She's lost before. She lost to Nikita Lyons. And you're protecting her from losing to Alba Fire, someone who should be getting elevated into the main event on this brand. Someone who could be on the main roster three months ago, you know, could have already gotten called up direct from UK to the main roster. And she's getting a DQ victory over Lash Legend. This was the worst match booking on the entire show. And the match was so short that neither of them benefited from what we actually got to saw, got to see seesaw, got to see from them in the ring. 
this time later in the show, Apollo Cruz was walking on the street, reading his journal and talking about living without fear when he saw a guy getting beat up in an alley. He imagined him, imagined himself beating up three dudes and then went and beat up the dudes. We assume we didn't really see it on camera. So this one made more sense, right? Like it's one thing to save a dude who's in physical danger and quite another to attack a guy just for being an asshole at a diner. It's still not good, but I'm clearly not shitting on this like I did last week's package, which legitimately was terrible. How about this? You brought Apollo Crews back. You had him show up twice in one show. He got massive reactions. I don't know. Allow him to wrestle. Allow him to be in front of the live crowd. I don't mind the vignettes, but do a vignette early, then give him a match later. Why are you now hiding him from the crowd that put him over so much when he first made his return? Again, things that just don't make sense to me. Uh, Giovanna Vinci was interviewed backstage saying he made a statement last week that he's a top tier talent and a championship contender. Ikemen Jiro interrupted. And I just honestly, I have no idea what he said, but I'm sure it was setting up a match. Uh, Jordan Devlin got a vignette driving a vintage car down the road, presumably in Ireland or Northern Ireland, uh, explaining why he will soon be coming to the United States and that you can never trust an ace. His new name is JD McDonough, which I mean, it's just terrible. JD is totally fine. Obviously, Jordan Devlin, but also just JD as a first name. Totally cool. But McDonough, like, yikes. I don't even think it fits from a heritage standpoint. Whatever. I'm excited to see Devlin, see if he can make waves in America because he's a supreme talent. He trained under Finn Balor, obviously. People joke that he's the Funko version of Finn Balor because he has a large head. But, I mean, he's super talented. And I think he can succeed massively in NXT main roster, to be determined. Uh, He recently did lose that Loser Leaves Town NXT UK championship match to Isla Dragunov. I reviewed that recently on the show. So make sure you go back and watch that so you get a little idea of what Jordan Devlin is about if you're not familiar. But this move to the United States, of course, makes total sense. Something that doesn't make total sense, doesn't make any sense, and it just pisses me off. Uh, Joe Gacy uh, praised the dyad in a taped package for giving up their lives and pledging themselves to him. He said they were planning on packing up and going home, but he showed them the light. He said they may have tasted gold before, but it will be more delicious the next time because it will be under his guidance. And the only thing I could think was, holy shit, they confirmed my greatest fear. The dyad is indeed grizzled young veterans. I prayed that I was being unfairly pessimistic about this entire thing, but I cannot believe they stuck two guys with endless personality and charisma, talent in the ring, under fucking maroon velvet druid cloaks to serve as Joe Gacy's minions. Maroon velvet druid cloaks. Two great wrestlers. Two great, okay, one great and one good enough talker. Two good-looking dudes, by the way. Whoever is responsible for this booking decision should have any and all creative responsibility removed from their job title permanently. This is as bad as the gimmick change gets. The eventual reveal is going to be super depressing. Like, this may legitimately be the worst character change of all time. How could anything be worse than taking 
the grizzled young veterans who people looked forward to on the mic, looked forward to in the ring, and putting them under maroon velvet druid cloaks. How? How does something this bad make it to television? There is a lot to like about NXT, and people don't give this show enough credit. I say it all the time. But this is the shit that brings down the entire product. The creative team should be utterly ashamed of themselves, not only for what's happening with Joe Gacy, but for taking a team with potential like Grizzled Young Veterans, who again, could have been on the main roster as they were, and turning them into maroon velvet druids wearing face coverings. That is one big pile of shit. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. This is crap! This is bullshit, man! It is absolute bullshit, MVP. You are a thousand percent correct. We had Von Wagner against Brooks Jensen. Everyone else in the groups was barred from ringside. Jensen hit a spinning heel kick. Wagner worked the healthy hand, attempting to break Jensen's other thumb. Jensen caught a streak with some basic offense before hitting a really rough leaping DDT for a near fall. Wagner caught Jensen's hand as he was flying and then hit his finisher for the win in five minutes. It was an awful match that was boring as sin. Wagner looked fine. Jensen brought absolutely nothing to the table. Like Briggs has some upside both in the ring and on the mic. Jensen is milk toast. He's just absolutely nothing. It's plain, boring, bland. Don't need him in the tag team. Don't need him on television. Don't need him teamed with Josh Briggs. Hate to say it, but I heard something happened with them on NXT UK, which means they're around at least for a good amount of time going forward. And look, when I say that about Jensen, it's not personal. I'm not trying to hate on the guy. I know what I see in the ring. And what I see is absolutely nothing. Uh, Tiffany Stratton cut a taped promo insulting Wendy Chu as someone who is tragic and sucks at life. Then she said she put her to sleep for good. Look, Stratton is really good in the ring. This character and her promos, it just feels forced. I'm not saying the character can't work. It's just the way she does it feels forced. It's like she looks the part and can speak the part, but she does not emote it in a believable way. Like you, you have to compare it, of course, to Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. Like, it's, it's the most direct comparison. You believed she was that character, Alicia Silverstone. I don't believe Tiffany Stratton is this character. They just should switch it up, figure out something else, evolve it. Evolve it into a snob rather than like a daddy's girl, princess, whatever the hell they're doing. Ta- allow it to take another little bit of a direction, maybe with Grayson Waller's influence, make her an influencer, get her doing TikTok things, Going in that direction is good. What they're doing, the spoiled child thing. I mean, she's an adult. It doesn't even make sense. They got to get away from that. Uh, Thea Hale was moving into her dorm when it turned out Bodie Hayward was actually her roommate. Bodie was confused at what it means to be co-ed. She was super excited for classes to start next week. Look, it was super corny, but it kind of made me smile a bit because it was cute. There's really nothing wrong with it. You could tell her like enthusiasm was legitimate. Bodie seems like he's a really good character actor. So them together, the Chase U stuff, it all just continues to work. And then lastly here, Nikita Lyons got another rehab vignette, putting herself over, saying she will be balls to the wall when she comes back next week. And that's pretty cool. I believe she had a partial tear of one of her knee ligaments. The fact that she was able to recover and come back so quickly, that is really good news, of course, for her. So look, that's NXT this week. Um, There was some good, just a lot of nonsensical, illogical stuff that just truly bothered me. And 
Obviously, the dyad, I, I can't take it. It's killing me. And the booking of that women's division with the tag team titles and, and that whole convoluted thing that they did, maybe there's going to be more clarity when we get back to live shows. But I had to be super negative and super critical of it because hopefully by the way I broke it down, you understood it really just did not make a lot of sense. So before we bring in Chris for the Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview, there were some other things that happened on AEW this week that just have nothing to do with the pay-per-view that I wanted to knock out really quick. The biggest one came on Dynamite. Uh, Christian Cage came out to explain his attack on Jungle Boy and did the whole egging on booze thing with the crowd just to get cheap heat. He said it was retribution. Uh, the turn was retribution from being eliminated from the Casino Battle Royal last year which supposedly cost him some bullshit roster bonus. But he was also mad that fans cheered it, and then he did a rant on the IWC. He said the idea that he came back to help young talent is bullshit. He just wanted a paycheck. Christian said people should try having matches that are talked about longer than a week if they want to be on his level. By the way, that line is incredible. And not only is it incredible, it's completely accurate. Uh, He said Jungle Boy has the talent, but not the smarts. And the one time that Christian wasn't there by his side, they lost the titles. And at this point, aside from that one line, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, this is an all-time shit promo that's supposed to be good and and revolutionary. It's absolutely killing me. Just wait, though. So footage was shown from last week with Christian calling Jungle Boy a piece of shit to his mom and sister. He suggested the mom was into him and that he couldn't be his father because his father was dead and would be ashamed of him. This brought out Luchasaurus, who started choking Christian. He begged him to stop so they could talk. He reminded Luchasaurus what happened to Marco's stunt and said he's like a son to him. Christian then whispered in Luchasaurus's ear, and he stopped, and they walked off together. And my breakdown of this is that it was 1,000% a tale of two promos. The first half, the explanation part, was absolutely absurd and convoluted. I'm supposed to believe that this guy took nine or 10 months out of his life to do a slow burn and help these guys win the tag team championships because he got eliminated in a battle royal and lost a random roster bonus. This guy, by the way, who was in WWE for a decade and has been all over wrestling and has made a shitload of money. Come on, that's ridiculous. And then all of the you people stuff, I mean, it's so trite and eye roll inducing. The whole first half of this, I was just like, I was ready to criticize this and 0.0 and do the whole thing. But, and it's a big but, Christian turned this promo on a dime in the second half when it got personal. That part was ice cold and it was honestly sensational. It showed exactly what this guy can do on the mic. So this was heading towards disaster, but it ended up being an extremely strong segment. Not only that, We have the Luchasaurus intrigue that kind of keeps the interest peaked. Does he convince him to lose the mask? Does he side with Christian? Does he pretend to side with Christian only to actually be with Jungle Boy? So yes, it was convoluted. There's no question about that. But man, did this get the job done. It was awesome. It was a good one, yeah. Wardlow on Dynamite cut a taped promo saying he's coming for the TNT title when Scorpio Sky is healed and ready. This guy, by the way, who was in the most or second most notable match at the last pay-per-view, has done absolutely nothing since. A couple shitty squash matches and now taped promos 
because they want to give him the title and Sky is not healthy. This is absolute booking malpractice in every potential way. On Rampage, John Moxley fought Dante Martin. Mox dominated the majority of the match and eventually drilled Martin with the elbows before winning with a hammerlock submission. I thought this was going to be a banger, and it was kind of a little bit of a letdown match-wise. On Rampage, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland were interviewed backstage. Lee asked Swerve why he shouldn't beat his ass after all the Battle Royal shit. Again, not waiting nine to ten months to go over it, addressed immediately, right, in the next show. Swerve said it was singles competition, and it was fair game for him to eliminate Keith Lee. Lee pointed out he saved Swerve during the same match, started to walk away angry. Swerve tried to get him to reconsider. When you know who, Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Stark stepped up, saying they were the better tag team. This shit is still going on. Like, we're bordering now on New Day Brawling Brutes territory. Lee even considering trusting Swerve after that battle royal is completely absurd. The guy screwed him multiple times. He taunted him. They said shit to each other on social media. Why would he even think that he could trust this guy again? And why are they still feuding with Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks? How is that not over? On Rampage, uh, there was a TBS championship, Jade Cargill against Willow Nightingale. Solid match overall. Jade escaped a gut wrench and hit a pedigree, followed by Jaded for the win. Stokely Hathaway on commentary, he was the best part of the entire thing. And look, Jade doing the pedigree was strange. I don't know if she's ever done that before. I've never seen it, but maybe someone can explain to me. Uh, The baddies attacked after the bell when Athena and Chris Statlander made the save afterward, as per usual. And then apparently Red Velvet's hurt or something like that, so they're doing a baddie search that they started on uh, Dynamite. Why not, by the way, just like bringing Sunny Kiss and a couple people other that are on the roster already, why not just add them? Like, why do you have to wait and do a search? It, I mean, are they going to do a social media campaign again like they did for the librarian? I, I don't know. Um, it, it's not really a criticism. I just it felt like it would have been just, just cool to add people without having to like do a whole search for it. And then lastly here, uh, Hook was unamused on Rampage learning he would fight an NJPW Dojo member next week on Rampage. Dan Housen came in, and I'm being honest, he said something, then they walked away from each other. I legitimately have no idea what he said or what happened. Like, I was paying attention. I have no idea what he said or, or what they did or why this was a segment. And that's really it. Now that we have broken down NXT and a lot of what happened AEW that had absolutely nothing to do with Forbidden Door, allow me to welcome in Vintage Chris Vanini, who is joining us. Chris, where are you exactly? Chicago? I'm in, I'm in my parents' basement. The typical in, wrestling writer, blogger, podcaster. Uh, yes, I'm back in uh, Metro Detroit. Visiting oh, Detroit. Fam- That's right. Detroit. Yes, visiting my family for the next week or so. Going to Blood and Guts next week. But before that, we have another AW show. We do. Yeah, I was I was I was like, I know he's going to an event. They're in Chicago, completely forgetting you're from Michigan. And of course, Michigan State and the whole nine. Of course, it's Detroit blood and guts. That is why or not not necessarily why you're there, but it is where you are that you're able to go to blood and guts. So it's great. Thank you uh, for joining us for this AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview. Uh, Really quick before we get into the entire thing. I thought criticisms of this card before Wednesday night were completely justified. It was not an exciting card. It was not an exciting build. And while there were matches on it that looked like they were going to deliver, it just all felt rushed and kind of thrown together. At the same time, it is worth admitting and noting that a ton 
was added to the show on the Go Home program that improved the card massively and did ratchet up my excitement for it. Now, am I as excited for this as I would be if we had Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito, you know, and some of these other people who aren't showing up, CM Punk, et cetera? No, of course, I'm not as excited for this as I otherwise would be. But I am way more pumped up about it this Thursday than I was last Thursday when it honestly felt like it was going to be a little bit of a chore to watch Forbidden Door on Sunday. Yeah, I feel like people are talking about how people are talking about Forbidden Door right? as much as they are talking about actual Forbidden Door. Look, you, your your opinions on it can have changed. Of course. You know, like, like when they first made the announcement, it felt like it was going to be a huge deal and all the possibilities were endless. Maybe, maybe they let it get too overhyped. And then it kind of came down with the injuries and unsure of who was going to be there. And even last week, we weren't super excited for it. But you can't deny that last night's Dynamite set up what now looks like a really fun card. And so you, you can have you can have swung back and forth on it. I think because it's uh, you know because it's New Japan AW because it involves so many of the internet wrestling fans, it's become its own talking point on top of the actual show. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of things that I'm excited about for the show. Two of them were legit. Two of the maybe three things I'm most excited about for the entire show were added on the Go Home Dynamite. One is Kazuchika Okada, the number one, you know, arguably sure, uh, but arguably the best wrestler in the world. The number, arguably the number one wrestler for New Japan. Some would say Kota Ibushi, certainly, and that that's a legitimate, uh, you know, argument if you want to make that. Um, but one of the top guys in the world, one of the top five inarguable wrestlers in the entire world right now got added to the show in a championship match that features the actual champion for New Japan, along with some other really big names from AEW. And Brian Danielson made his first appearance for AEW since Double or Nothing. He's dealing with an injury. We will we'll discuss that at length, I promise you, later. But and he basically teased a debut of someone that we think we know who it's going to be. And it's for us a big deal because it's someone we like on this show. So there are two things that were specifically added to the show that made it way more exciting than it was coming in. So I think AEW deserved criticism for the early build of this, which was not strong whatsoever. And it was very sloppy. Injuries be damned. But it also deserves a lot of credit for what was a very, very exciting AEW Dynamite edition of a go-home show for Forbidden Door. At the same time, Chris, before we get into this, it really was a convoluted and sloppy show, but it was entertaining within its sloppiness and convolution. Look, this this show is not about the build. It was never going to be about the build. It's a one-off. It's going to be about matchups that we haven't seen before or haven't seen in a long time or never thought we would get. And that's about it. it it's been an awkward month of AWTV with the, the lack of stories, the inconsistent stories. But that's not what the show was ever going to be about. It was right. going it's a to wrestling be a, show. It's yeah. going to be about just wrestling matches and, and, and things you, you, you never thought you'd see. And so ultimately, we got there in a very strange way. Um, and it ended up with a card that I think, you know, you can be pretty excited. Agreed. And here we are. I think it was six matches coming into Dynamite. It is now an 11 match card, <laughs> which... Means, Chris, Sunday night, 
here we go. You know, a 1 a.m. taping of the podcast. The Silver King goes to bed at 4 a.m. Eastern. I mean, it's it's going to happen again. It's just it's <laughs> they can't give us a a normal, you know, a, maybe above average card. It has to be overdone with a lot of shit. Candidly, on the back end of this card, I just don't care about. I really don't. So let's get into it. Uh, we'll, we'll spend a short period of time on the stuff that doesn't need it. And we'll go in depth on uh, the main event and certainly some of the other bigger matches. As a reminder for anyone who's not heard one of our ultimate previews before, we're going to start with the low card, work our way down to the main event. And then at the very end, before we get out of the show today, we will provide our pre-show expectation grades for Forbidden Door. You as listeners, as followers on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, will be able to vote for your pre-show expectation grade and overall post-show grade at the end of the pay-per-view, well, the, the pre-show before the pay-per-view and the post-show grade at the end of the pay-per-view on Sunday. So let's just get into it. There is a buy-in match. It's the Gun Club and Max Caster against basically members of the New Japan Dojo. On Rampage, Gun Club and Caster fought Leon Ruff and Bear Country. Caster absolutely murdered his rap with a January 6th reference and an NDA remark for Vince McMahon. It was fantastic. It's like three in a row that he's absolutely crushed. Uh, this was a squash. It had no business being on Rampage. Should have been on Dark. I'm going to pick Gun Club and Max Caster to win. I am picking them as well. Uh, honestly, the the acclaimed entrance, which was already incredibly over, is now one of the most over things in the company. Yeah, it's and really good. You put them on the card. You put them on the pre-show. You know, it's something that the, 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 the crowd will get into. Um, Anthony Bowens even being in a wheelchair. I love the way they've adapted it. They've them made it the, work somehow. It's crazy. They've made it work. Yeah. Them and the gun club has been fun. Like this it is. is, it's a perfectly fine pre-show match type of deal. You get the crowd into it. So um, I'm also picking the AW guy. When they did that, I rolled my eyes. I was like, why are they doing this? It doesn't make any sense to throw them together. And it's hysterical. So Look, scissor you know, me. Funny's funny. Scissor me daddy ass. I don't know if that's on a t-shirt yet, but I imagine that would sell. <laughs> it'll, it'll sell to a certain segment. This is the right month. <laughs> this is the right month to sell that shirt is, is the best way to put it. Uh, okay, let's keep going. Swerve in our glory. Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee are fighting El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kenmaru. And I'm sorry if I butchered that. I know most of the New Japan names. That is not one that I've ever heard before. Uh, look, you know, the shit happened on Rampage where they got into it with each other. I mentioned it earlier on this show, but somehow they're in a team. I don't know how this match got set up. I assume it happened during Rampage this week. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't have Swerve and Keith Lee win unless you're using this to do a formal breakup and start a feud between them. But given the fact that they're still apparently feuding with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, then I have to assume they're going to win this match. So I'm going to go ahead, pick the AEW guys here once again. Yeah, this is actually not on the Wikipedia page at the moment, but I imagine it sounds like it's something that got set up on the coming Rampage, like you said, so I, I, I guess we'll see. Um, also, this is, this is a point to say, I don't know a lot of these New Japan people. I know some of them. I know the big names. I went to a G1 Climax here in, uh, in Dallas a couple of years ago, so... I'm not going to have as much analysis on the New Japan side of some of these matchups. For example, I don't know who these people are. Uh, I guess I'm going to pick Keith Lee and Swerve. It's very weird that they kind of had a breakup and now they're in a tag team again. I don't really know. They're kind of just treading water at the moment. But in, in, in that situation, on these low card ones especially, I think the AEW guys get the win. 
don't don't feel too bad. I do know New Japan and I don't know who these guys are. So don't feel <laughs> bad at all. I, now, I've been, as you all know, who listen to the show, I've been more out on New Japan since the start of the pandemic than I was before. I'm trying to get back into it. I've watched it recently. You guys heard my takes on Dominion. Um, but no, these are two people that I just don't know. But regardless, Swerve and Keith Lee. Uh, so there is another match. Uh, let's count the numbers here. It's an eight man tag team match. The Bullet Club against Dudes with Attitude. So you may say, who the hell is that? Well, I will let you know. So first on Rampage, we had Darby Allen against Bobby Fish. Fish worked the ankle for a while. Darby countered an ankle lock submission into a Last Supper pinning combination, and he got the win. Fish attacked immediately after the bell, so Kyle O'Reilly came down with a chair. Then the lights went out, and Sting returned with a bat. He put it on Kyle. He put it on. He smacked Kyle O'Reilly in the balls with it. Then Darby wrapped a chair around Fish's ankle and did a coffin drop onto the chair as an eye for an eye to hurt his ankle like he hurt hurt Sting's ankle previously. I may be super tired of the Sting stuff overall, which I am, but I will say it was a really fun return. The crowd went crazy for it. It was a nice moment. On Dynamite, the Young Bucks celebrated their tag team title win backstage, and Kyle O'Reilly announced they will have a match at Forbidden Door. Darby and Sting later announced their partners, this is very typical New Japan eight-man, 10-man undercard match. The idea is basically a mini Bullet Club reunion for one night only. I say that this is no harm, no foul as a match booking. The baby faces are going to win this. That team, by the way, is Sting, Darby Allen, Shingo Takagi, and Hiromu Takahashi, a couple of you know multi-time champions in New Japan, whereas the Young Bucks will be teaming with El Fantasmo and Hikaleu. So yeah, no big deal here. I have to imagine Sting, by the way, came up with the name Dudes with Attitudes. It sound like, sounds like it's something straight out of the late 80s or early 90s. But this is a situation where, yeah, the Young Bucks are in the match, but the babyface team is far stronger top to bottom from a talent standpoint uh, with Darby, Shingo, and Hiromu. So I'm easily picking them. Babyface went in this match. Yeah, I kept wondering where the Young Bucks were going to be on this card. If, if I remember correctly, when they brought Jay White and Adam Cole to kind of make the announcement of the show, they said it was going to be Bullet Club versus Undisputed Elite, right? They suggested that that was something that could or should happen, that they wanted to happen. Yeah, and they they and they and made comments to kind of say they can't do that, they're not doing that for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, this, is kind of, this ends up being one of those thrown together eight-man tags in, instead of the maybe bigger thing that we were looking forward to. Um, Dudes with attitudes is, is 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 fun. It was kind of I think they announced it via Excalibur explaining the graphic. Like they didn't really. It was very where no. So so the Young Bucks are like, or, or in the Young Bucks segment, O'Reilly is like, this is going to be the match with Darby or no with Sting and like his cronies or I forgot what term he used. Then Darby and Sting had a promo and they announced who the other people were on their team. It was. Again, conv- a lot of the show was convoluted. Doesn't mean it wasn't entertaining, but a lot of it was convoluted. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm also going with the 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 faces in this. It it, it makes sense. This is a spot where um, you know the young bucks don't need to take a pin, and you know you can go off with something like that. Yeah. So all three of those matches were newly announced. Just yes. happened. We're just kind of breaking them down now. This one was previously announced. Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino. The only further build here came after the main event, which we will detail later, when Eddie Kingston ran down for a post-match attack. And then we saw members of Blackpool Combat Club, Jericho Appreciation Society, Suzuki, Shota, 
Santana and Ortiz, they all began brawling at ringside in this really crazy, strange end of show brawl to kind of bring us in to the pay-per-view. So I'm using the same kind of prediction matrix here for this match as I did the prior one. Look at the teams. Jericho, Sammy, Suzuki. Three people, none of whom should be taking a pinfall or a submission in this match. Meanwhile, you have Eddie Kingston, who certainly shouldn't either. But you have Wheeler Yuta, and the one who really stands out is Shota Umino, uh, who is John Moxley's young boy, or who was John Moxley's young boy in New Japan. He's an up-and-coming guy. He's the, he's the fall guy in the match. He is the one who's going to lose. It makes all the sense in the world. If not him, Yuta could take the fall, but they're probably going to want to protect Yuta a little bit more. So this is a spot where the heels win. It also is a good idea to have the heels win this. Going into Blood and Guts uh, and Wednesday, just a couple days later, 72 hours or a little bit more later, where it seems pretty clear to me that in that match, the baby faces are going to go over. So you have the heels win here. The baby faces win Blood or Guts. There, there's, by the way, my prediction for Blood and Guts. Um, and that, that's what I have happening. Yeah, I, I had the same thought as well. Um, you, you have the heels win here because you have the, the faces win at Blood and Guts. I, part, I, part of me is like, I don't. I wish they weren't doing Jericho versus Kingston now in Agreed. this multi-promotional six mats. And that's supposed to be the biggest heat of the feud, like the, the, the of the Jericho Appreciation Society versus the collection of everybody else. It, it's Jericho versus Eddie is the main part of that. You're already throwing it in this six man on a Sunday before the blood and guts. It's fine, but this is a, this is a match where I'm not really going to care about it at, at all. Um, but I, I agree that the um, that the heels win. Let's move to the Ring of Honor and IWGP Tag Team Championship match. FTR, the Ring of Honor champions, will be defending against United Empire, the IWGP Tag Team champions, who will also be defending the titles against Rapongi Vice. So on Dynamite, we had Orange Cassidy and Rapongi Vice against Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. Orange hit a great flip over cutter on Osprey early. Rapongi dropped a double knees on Kyle Fletcher before Strong Zero got countered into a code red thanks to an Osprey boot. Tremperetto was able to counter into a Tornado DDT before tagging an orange for the orange punch and a clean one, two, three. After the bell, the rest of United Empire came out ready to attack. FTR got a huge pop and even the sides. For the match really quick, Chris, you don't even need to talk about the match. I thought it was super fun. It was a great preview for two different Forbidden Door matches, all previewed inside of one. The other great thing was both of those matches were previously announced. So this was just, it gave you a taste of what you could get at the pay-per-view, and that is how you sell pay-per-views. That's exactly how you do it. I went 3.75 stars into B+. There was really nothing to the post-match because there didn't really need to be. And I do believe both of these matches, this one that we're talking about now and the one that we're going to talk about next with Osprey and Orange Cassidy, they have a chance to be two of the more surprising, most entertaining matches on the show, even though yes. they're very much in the mid-card for what has been booked on this program. Um, so getting to a prediction for the tag team match, look, uh, you know, United Empire, solid champions, Rapongi Vice feels thrown into the match. I don't know if it's because they're going to be the team to take the fall or it's just because they have a case kind of to want to go after both championships, but they feel not non-essential really in the match. The team that's important here is FTR. Yeah. You could make an argument, and I think it's really fair to say that Right now, today, what is it, June 23rd, they are the most over tag team in professional wrestling, any country, any brand. And there is no reason whatsoever that the Ring of Honor title should be taken off of them 
which means the only thing that would make sense would be to put the IWGP Tag Team Championships on them. Therefore, I have FTR winning and taking all four straps home. The, the, I mean, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships mean nothing right now. Like, they're, they're just True. ceremonial at this point. If, um, are they still the AAA Tag Team Champs? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, maybe I, th- I think they are. Yes, I think they are. Because I know I know CMML uh, CML is basically not allowing certain things and certain people Correct. to be involved. I'm in checking this. on this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I, I looked up. They are. They wanted uh, yeah. in October 250 plus days. They still have them. Right. So, I mean, like in an when ideal, they were dressed as when they were dressed as the frogs, by the way, in, in, in okay. like if, if this was like dream card type of matchup, you're taking out Rapongi Vice. You're adding in the Lucha Brothers and you're putting the AAA tag team titles on the line as Correct. well. Correct. And you've and you've got three teams, three total championships, and it could have been that, that that's like a dream card type thing. But still, do think this match will be very fun. FTR, they always excel in these 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 kinds of matches. I imagine it'll be a very, very fun match. Um, and I'm gonna pick them as well. I, I could certainly see United Empire winning again because those ROH championships don't really mean anything at the moment. And it maybe FTR decides to go after the AW tag belts or something like that, but I'm going to go FTR as well. I think everybody should realize, I think everybody in wrestling realizes how over they are right now. And it's, it, it, it'd be a good thing to, to have them involved. Good thing to have the IWGP tag team belts on them, even if it's for a short period of time. Yeah. You have to strike while the iron is hot and the iron is on fire right now with FTR. Uh, IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship, Will Ospreay against Orange Cassidy. This is basically what we just discussed. There's a really good chance that this is one of the best matches of the entire night. Ospreay is one of the best in the world. He's in that top five conversation. And Orange can totally keep up with him athletically. As long as they don't do too much comedy hijinks bullshit, I do think this is going to be a banger. But there is no way, as Vince McMahon would say, no chance in hell. The orange takes this title off Osprey, so I have Osprey retaining the United States Heavyweight Championship. Hit, hit the, do we still have that Orange Cassidy drop? I feel like it fits pretty well here. Which was the drop? What are you the Jericho saying it, it has just about a chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. Oh yeah, but that's more for like gimmicks and stuff. That's not really it is. But match. Jericho saying there was no chance Orange Cassidy is over. There is no chance that Orange Cassidy is winning this match. But it is going to be very very fun. Potentially the most fun match of the night. I was kind of surprised how much. Osprey, Orange Cassidy, they gave us in that six-man tag on Dynamite. Um, I understand wanting to give a little bit of a taste, but they went they went back and forth quite a bit in a way that I was kind of surprised. But uh, yeah, uh, Will Osprey is going to win this. Um, and it's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. We have the finals, I guess you could call it, of the AEW All-Atlantic Championship Tournament, I guess you could call it. It's very strange. Um, it's going to be Pac against Miro against Tomohiro Ishii against one wrestler to be determined. And that person was determined on Wednesday. We had Penta Oscuro against Malachi Black. Uh, Penta hit a rolling cutter for a near fall, and he followed with a great avalanche fear factor, but he was unable to make the cover. After a couple minutes, Black just kind of stood up and hit Black Mass for the win. I, I just thought it was really strange, the finish to this match. It, it was almost like maybe Penta was hurt, and then they just ended it because of that. But we got like seven minutes of a banger and then two minutes, that was just dull. And I thought it was a really disappointing finish to the match. I knew Black would win because A, Penta never wins. Um, but it could have been far better than this between two of my favorite wrestlers. Two, two guys that I was really excited to see put on a banger. 
Pac came out immediately after the bell to protect Penta. Then Miro showed up on screen to cut his typical promo. We never got Ishii on Dynamite. As far as who wins this, look, it's really tough to say. This is one of the harder matches to predict. Yes. Miro would make a lot of sense just because he's so dominant. But despite being from Bulgaria, we never really hear about him going overseas. And there's not a lot to gain from putting the title on someone from that region. I actually think he lives in Nashville, by the way, with Lana. But um, I think the two most likely winners here are Pac and Ishii. Pac, who obviously lives in Great Britain and is frequently in Europe, and Ishii, who's obviously based in Japan. Given this is a long-term relationship with New Japan, and given we're both predicting FTR to win the IWGP Tag Team Championships earlier, I'm actually going to go ahead and expect and predict Ishii to win this with it being a very notable moment on the show for relations between the companies. Pack is who I would book as winner. To me, it makes more sense. It's easier. He's there more frequently. You are going to want that title defended on American television in addition to all over the world. And given Pack is not needed week to week, but is there frequently, it seems pretty easy to put the title on him. However, given the circumstances that I just discussed, my prediction is going to be Ishii. So you and I too often think exactly the same. I I, I the exact same thing. I, I was thinking Ishii wins. This is a chance for AEW to get one of its belts out internationally. It gives New Japan something after New Japan brought the show, brought their company here to the US to do the show and you know, goodwill and all that type of stuff. And that's my pick as well for that reason. And and funnily funnily enough, that would make this belt, I think, the the first actual AEW World Championship. Because I don't think the the main AEW Championship has been defended in another country, right? Who? That's a good question. I don't know if Mo- I don't think Moxley ever took it to Japan. Because I know the champion has COVID. fought in other countries. I don't remember if it's been defended. Because like technically, countries. you need that to happen to be a world championship. So I, I don't know if that's happened. But that but that would make um. You know, the, the point of this belt, it seems, is to be an international belt it that does AEW seem, has yeah. elsewhere. AEW has so many belts. It has a Ring of Honor belts. It doesn't need another belt week to week on TV. It feels like it's an international belt that will be defended elsewhere, essentially. And in that situation, Ishii and Pac make the most sense. I'm picking Ishii for the same reason. Personally, I'd like Miro to win because. I think he's awesome. And if that got him potentially fighting elsewhere, that'd be interesting. I agree. It's the most unlikely. Uh, Malachi Black, House of Black, still not really just into it. Was kind yeah. of a weird deal on Dynamite. Um, so I guess we're we're both going to go Ishii here. Yeah, I, I think that just does make the most sense. And I did double check. Moxley never defended uh, the AEW World Championship overseas. So that obviously. There you go. There you go. Uh, And that all happened during the pandemic, so we probably didn't even need to look it up, but there you go anyway. Right. Um, So, all right, let's move on to what is going to be Zack Sabre Jr. against a wrestler who has not yet been named, but will be the newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club. So there's a lot to talk about here, probably more than anything else on this entire uh, card. So Brian Danielson opened Dynamite. He said... It was a great week to be an AEW fan and a professional wrestling fan. 
because the two best professional wrestling companies were going to put on Forbidden Door and Blowing Guts. Danielson said he was set to fight Zack Sabre Jr. on the show, and he was excited for both of his planned matches, that one and Blood and Guts, but he is not cleared to compete. Then he said not to worry about him coming back long term. He also said he found the one person he trusts to replace him at Forbidden Door and Blood and Guts, someone who will astound people with what he can do in AEW. Danielson would not reveal who it was. Sabre's music then hit, and he just kind of stood on the stage yelling at Danielson. But that's really not the point. There's a lot to talk about coming out of this. The first is that the surprise certainly sounds to me like it's going to be Cesaro, uh, Claudio, whatever name you want him to go by. And it does sound like he will be debuting for AEW. I thought that was going to be the case before it was specified later in the show that the person would be the newest member of Blackpool Combat Club. If you're bringing someone in, it has to be someone who is going to beat the shit out of people and have that technical ability. And Cesaro completely fits that. So for me, it solidified it. And look, that's great and all, right? Cesaro is super talented and he's going to be able to show out in AEW. There's no question about that. The problem is he doesn't really bring anything unique to AEW or add anything to the roster other than being another notable former WWE name. And that's really the larger topic I wanted to talk about here. Does AEW technically sign, quote unquote, everybody who leaves WWE or who WWE releases? No, technically they don't. But if you don't take the word, quote unquote, everybody, literally, then yeah, they basically sign everybody. Like every single person who leaves WWE that has actual value and is not either a problematic person or has not priced themselves out of being an AEW wrestler. They sign. Just because AEW didn't bring in low carters like Fandango or Chelsea Green or Mojo Raleigh or someone problematic and not worth the cost like a Braun Strowman or someone who is currently doing something else like Bray Wyatt, Wyndham Rotunda, does not mean they are not filling their coffers with anyone of name value that they can add. They've brought in 25, and this is an old number that I have, so it may be more, 25 released wrestlers from WWE. That does not count the free agent signings like Adam Cole and John Moxley, Brian Danielson, etc. So I just, Chris, I don't see what Cesaro adds. I'm happy he's getting paid. He's going to get a great reaction. It's going to be a fantastic match. But ultimately, beyond that pop, beyond that one week ratings pop, that maybe they get Wednesday for blood and guts when it's learned that Cesaro is there. I don't really see the benefit. So when Brian Danison made his announcement, I had two thoughts. One was Cesaro. The other was Johnny Gargano. But when they had made the announcement that the person would be in Blackpool Combat Club, that's when I leaned more towards Cesaro as probably being the guy. And everything you said in there is correct about AEW in terms of bringing in former WWE talent. But in a way, that and the Blackpool Combat Club part of this honestly might be the best use for Cesaro. He's he's not going to be the singles guy goes for the championship. Everybody gets behind him. It just, it, it doesn't happen. But if you're just using him as a hand, 
you know, in a tough guy faction where he doesn't have to do all the talking, that could work. Like, like we don't have to see, we don't have to see him every week. You know, obviously we, we don't with the way AEW has so many people there. I think this is actually maybe the most interesting way to bring in Cesaro if that is what's happening. Because he'll be in a faction, he'll be in a group, you know, it'll just, it'll be a different situation. So if that's the case, uh, I'm curious about it. That also ties into my pick for the match, if it's Cesaro. And that is, uh, I'm picking Zack Sabre Jr. Because I don't think Cesaro, Cesaro, even in debut, doesn't need to get wins. Because his, 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 his character and his... Brandon, his image is is not about wins anymore. His whole thing is putting on amazing matches. So even if he loses and they put on a classic match, that's still pretty good. And if we're looking for places where New Japan guys are going to get wins, that would seem to be one. Okay, interesting. Uh, what did you think in general about my my comments about adding him to the roster? Just in terms of in terms of like what a ceiling is there? Not so much his ceiling, but like, do you see a value in adding Cesaro? And no, what do you think no. about the concept of, you know, basically what I just said that do they technically add everybody? No, because there's a lot of low card people and a rare upper card person, one, maybe two, that they haven't added. But literally everyone else that WWE releases or whose contract expires and becomes a free agent, AW signs. And yes. and the roster is so large and so it's bloated now at this point. Like the criticisms, it, it, we, it, it, the criticisms we used to have for WWE having way too many people on their roster, it has completely flipped. AEW it, is over bloated, and WWE's main roster is actually too thin right now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Hey, look, there's there's too many people on the roster. Overall, are we happy the wrestlers have jobs? Yes, of course, absolutely. But we said this, uh, we've said this for weeks, is that AEW needs to. Focus in on who its top two tiers of wrestlers are and really emphasize them. Everybody feels like they're at the same level. Cesaro actually fits the mold of the guy you wanted to go from WWE to AEW, which is, hey, we think this guy is being underused. Let him go to AEW where he can really shine. That was the that that's the whole idea. But it's like really shine. It's like really shine. So he will wrestle matches that get more stars from Dave Meltzer. And yeah, but, 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 but what he's not going to, he's, this guy's not going to be AEW world champion. No, no, you know, he's not, maybe, maybe he wins the TNT title at some point. When is that going to be? I don't know. Did he, now, did he have anything more to accomplish in WWE? No, he didn't. So for him to get another opportunity and go somewhere else and try something new, it's great for him. And Brian Danielson, you know, isn't necessarily being quote unquote used better than he was in WWE, but he is having great matches and he's super fun and he's been a yeah. great addition to that roster. There, and- there, there have there have been a lot of WWE to AEW people that we said didn't make sense. They're not doing anything with them and we knew they wouldn't. But Cesaro is the guy was one of the guys I think you would have actually wanted to always made he, sense. Yeah, but now he comes to a roster that is absolutely bloated. Right. And you don't really know where he or anybody else fits and simply adding another name is maybe not the best thing overall. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's, it's, if this was two years ago, I would be over the moon about this. But now it's just kind of like, oh, another one. Yeah, my, my reaction. Another guy that, who I'm not going to see that frequently, or if I do, he'll put on good matches, but 
what else is going to be doing there? Yeah, if I see Cesaro pop pop up to be the guy, I'm going to be like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. I'm looking forward to this match. They have a good match. It's done. And and that's it. I'm I'm not I'm not thinking, man, I can't wait to get Cesaro in uh, the world title picture or something like like Keith Lee is a guy we think should be in the world title picture. Cesaro is is not. Keith Lee um, is sitting in a in a tag team feud for which right. th- that he's been on and he's on rampage the vast majority of weeks doing the same thing, yeah. basically doing nothing since he signed. Correct. So that I, I think it, you can be excited about Cesaro coming in. I just think we all maybe need to keep the expectations a bit low about what it means. Yeah, I just think like the whole like, oh, he can really show what he can do and make. Well, yeah, maybe he'll have better wrestling matches. And there's that's great. I want better wrestling matches on TV. Like, I, what do we complain about all the time with WWE? The matches are too short. They're formulaic. You know, we so, and, and then we get great matches and we're really excited about it. When we had Cesaro and Roman Reigns, we were really excited about it. When Cesaro fought Seth Rollins at WrestleMania and they had their match series, it was great. He got to show what he could do. These were all really positive things. We don't get that weekly. Now with Cesaro, maybe we will. And that's going to be really cool. But then what? What else is there? Do, do two you, years do, ago, two years ago, you would have said a no-brainer TNT guy, someone who could challenge for the AEW world title, who was going to be in major storylines, blah, blah. Now it's just like, oh, it's another guy in the mid-card. So you, you're clearly, um, you've got a lot of energy about this. Obviously, we're not arguing with each other here. We were yeah, I'm not arguing. Page. Is this a reaction to, do you feel like people are hyping it up too much? Are you seeing it elsewhere? No, you think that- no, no. People, people should be excited about it. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a really good match. Cesaro's a super talented wrestler. I'm glad that he's doing what he wants to do and going to AEW. These are all very positive things. I'm not talking at all about that. I'm looking at him, the 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 larger picture of him being added to a roster that is already bloated and already has a lot of guys who are really good in the ring and maybe not that good otherwise. Right. right. Like I, I, don't, he, I, I don't think he's going to I don't think he's going to stand out. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's on a roster with a lot of guys that are, are like him, basically. And I think that's where it kind of comes down to. We'll be excited, you know, if it's him excited for the match. But also, you know, our expectations are going to be medium to low on what that means. Yeah. And, like, and that's OK. Like I, ju- I look at like Malachi Black. He had a couple months where we were like infatuated with him. And then it's just like now he's there and he's doing the same thing every week and it's basically nothing's happening. And Miro had that run, you know, with the TNT title and we were all about him and now he's back and we're still kind of only seeing him once in a while and it's the same character and not really that much is happening. And, and, Andra- 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 and Andra- Andrade has a horrible that. debut. Yeah. And even though he had the horrible debut, he had a couple really good matches. And apparently he has a match with Phoenix coming up on Rampage that I heard is awesome. But He's never on television, right? Like we never do any, see him or do anything. Samoa Joe comes over and he has a Ring of Honor title and he's engaged in this feud with Jay Lethal that sucks. And he's never really on AEW TV. I shouldn't say he's never on AEW TV because he is, but there's nothing that exciting about what he's doing. So it's just person after person after person. And by the way, while this is happening, all of the AEW originals that we were really excited were getting all of this attention are kind of falling by the wayside. You have Wardlow who... You know, I talked about it earlier in the show. You weren't, you didn't hear what I said, but this guy had a banner match at Double or Nothing, and they've done absolutely nothing with him since, presumably because Scorpio Sky is injured, but also because they're building all this other stuff for all this other people. So just week to week, it's like, how many people do you need? And again, two years ago, Cesaro, no brainer. Now I look at it and I'm like, it just seems unnecessary. 
Yeah, so so we got this conversation out of the way now instead of what's probably going to be a long uh, incident analysis show. I, that's on, why I wanted to do it now. On yeah. Sunday. So what about the match? Uh, I have Cesaro gonna... winning. Yeah, I, he's okay. going to win. He, you don't debut someone and have them lose. Yeah, I I, I think it's a tough one to pick. I, I'm, I'm going Zack Sabre Jr. because, I, again, I look at the card and try to find spots where New Japan guys get wins, and I don't think Cesaro needs to come in and get a win personally. But, um, you know, I picked CM Punk to lose his debut match, too. So maybe I'm just in agree. I didn't even mean, by the way, Chris, to talk about Cesaro as long as we did, because <laughs> there's another part of this that I wanted to discuss that is even a bigger picture as far as I'm concerned. And that is Danielson, who was moving around and looked just fine, but seems to be ruled out of action due to what is being rumored, not confirmed, is a concussion. And while I'm not surprised that he was so flippant, kind of talking about it on TV because he's never really treated his concussions that seriously, at least in public. Right. Um, And he literally had to be disqualified from competition by WWE to force him to kind of get treatment and do all the things that he did. At the same time, this is exactly what I was worried about when he left WWE. I've discussed it at length on this show a couple of times, but based on what we've seen in AEW's three years of existence, they don't really seem to have the same safeguards and policies that WWE has in terms of concussions, return to competition. And certainly in Brian's case, he was being monitored consistently by WWE for a long period of time after they finally cleared him to return to competition. So am I personally concerned about this? I am. I I definitely am. And this is not concern trolling bullshit. I was afraid that this exact scenario would occur when he left WWE and went to AEW. We talked about it on this very podcast. So look, I hope Brian winds up being okay. He gets fully cleared without any caveats or bullshit that get ignored. And I hope he doesn't kind of take advantage of the situation he finds himself in. Whereas if that if this had happened in WWE, maybe that would be it for him. You know, it's really tough to tell. They were very careful with everything they did with him. But I will say, you know, him coming in, and getting a concussion already, it's just not a great sign for someone who has a career of concussion problems to the point that it caused WWE to rule him out of competition. In fairness to AEW, there's nothing that says Brian wrestled through a concussion that he shouldn't have or anything And, like and I want to clarify, I am not suggesting that he did. Right. I'm it's talking the, about return to competition. Only. Yes. Yeah. And, and the, the, the fact that he's not wrestling on this specific show would tell me that proper protocols are in place to stop him from doing that. So that's good. This is not a Matt Hardy, Sammy Guevara situation um, from from that disaster of a match. Um, So I I, I do think... Well, we don't know. He may have gotten concussed at Double or Nothing and that match may have... I mean... Because we haven't seen, seen him I'm since saying then. We, I'm, saying so. we don't, I'm saying we don't know. No, we, we don't know. Agreed. There yeah. hasn't been yeah. a report that, hey, he got hurt, he wrestled through it and wasn't telling anybody, or they fake, like, so far, it just at least from what we know, and fe- hope, hope it is the way that things are being handled the right way, by ruling him out of this and blood and guts. That That is that is good, as, as unfortunate as it is to not see him. Um, the other part, though, is that I've not been a fan of the way he's done a lot of the wrestling in AEW in terms of protecting himself. Uh, you know, you, this was the concern, like you said, this was the concern we had when he was going to go to AEW. He brought the headbutt back, the, the flying headbutt. Mm-hmm. He's done it a few times. And I hate that. And I hate that for him. I hate that because of the 
you know the Chris Benoit history and stuff like that. Like he should he just he shouldn't be doing that. He's he's always pushed himself to this limit. I think he's been been wrestling in a way that has been opening himself up to to something potentially happening as it appears to have happened here. Um, is he going to cut back on it when he comes back? Probably not, because he never does. Um, <laughs> right. But but as as for that return to wrestling, you know, obviously he came back to WWE. Like it's not like he it's not like WWE said no, you can't wrestle. He said fine, I'm going to AEW. Like he was back in WWE. He went to signi- so he he went to significant lengths to get cleared. Yes, and he basically told WWE like I'm not going to renew with you guys, and I'm going to go wrestle elsewhere if you don't clear me. He forced their hand basically, and and Edge kind of did as well, by the way, and. Based on what he was able to show them and further follow up tests and all that, he did get cleared, but he got cleared with a lot of restrictions. He was going to get monitored after every single match and evaluated for a long period of time that eventually stopped when he when it after a period of time. But he also was very protective of himself, the way he wrestled and some of the things he did. And I talked about it, uh, you know, at the time I when those first couple of like he came back on that smackdown, he wrestled right away. I was gasping during that. Like I was I was scared for him. Like very it was very so. worrisome. So that's where I'm coming from. This is all um, all good natured. My my thoughts on this. It's I, I'm worried for him, the person that maybe the same safeguards for return to competition are not in place in AEW like they very much obviously were in WWE. It's like comparing um, what the NFL does now compared to what the NFL did 10 years ago. You know what I mean? It's completely different. You know, one has one company has a wellness policy and all these other things in place because they're publicly traded and they've been around for decades and the other just doesn't. The other one, the other one, AEW, does have a history of allowing wrestlers to continue wrestling matches after being concussed and injured. Right. Um, WWE more recently does not. So, again, that's just the perspective I'm looking at it from. And it's all good natured. It's all I hope Brian, when he does eventually come back, is okay. He's fully cleared and he's not taking any risks that would potentially threaten his life or his cognitive ability. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, same here. We, we, we All of our concerns about Brian Danielson throughout all this, even back in WWE, was that we just, we, we, we worry he puts too much into wrestling. You, 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 you read the stories of things he went through that he was hiding from WWE the first time that they cleared him and, and the, the reactions to concussions he was having and not. Uh, telling people is scary it, it was really scary and you just you don't want something terrible to happen so hopefully he is okay and will be okay hopefully the proper you know checks and everything and monitoring is is being done it just needs to be done to protect brian from himself exactly that is that is the point he needs to be protected from himself because he's previously shown that he is all about the wrestling and not about him although of course now he has daughters and a wife and things are different but still nevertheless yeah you would hope that Maybe things have changed in that sense. We I haven't talked to him. I don't know, but but I, I you, you just hope that you hope that right exactly. All right, let's move on. There's three more matches. AEW Women's Championship: Thunder Rosa defending against Tony Storm. Uh, so we had Storm against Marina Shafir on Dynamite. Nyla Rose came down with Shafir, and AEW actually showed why. A short clip from Dynamite. Unfortunately, we didn't get any audio, but they did explain why they were together. Rose hit Storm with a senton outside as the referee was distracted. Storm then hit a tornado DDT outside and a hip attack. Nyla interfered again before Tony kind of folded Shafir over in a roll-up for the win. Nyla attacked in the post-match. Thunder Rosa made the expected save. Storm then used the title on Rose and handed it back to Rosa. Match was fine. I will never understand, and so many companies do this. WWE does it. AEW does it. 
why if you have someone in a like match to boost them up as a number one contender before pay-per-view, why you do not have them win solidly and clean with their finisher. I don't get why these companies do this, but they do. The whole point should be that Tony Storm looks super strong because she beat Marina Shafir clean. That's it, right? Anyway, yes. as far as the uh, the match itself, this is a spot where historically with AEW, I have picked the WWE person, the new person debuting, thinking they're going to win because they're getting, they're getting a lot of uh, excitement from the crowd and they need to get put over. On top of that, Thunder Rose's women's championship reign has been horrendous to no fault of her own. It's been completely AEW's booking to the point that, again, the only time we saw her on screen was her running in for three seconds. She didn't say a word. There was no promo ahead of the match. Nothing. But every time I've predicted the WWE person going over in this exact situation to win the title, the AEW person or the original, the current champion, whatever, has been the one to win. So despite my better judgment, my better judgment, my head says, or my heart, I should say, my heart says, Tony Storm winning the title here and AEW strapping the rocket to her as part of like truly enhancing their division. I don't see them ending the title reign for Thunder Rosa this quickly. So my head says Thunder Rosa. It really does feel like this is the Tony Storm rocket moment. Like they've finally decided, all right, we're going to go all in with her now. And she's racking up wins and she's thrown into this championship picture. And it feels like the exact moment. Boom, you give her the title and, and onward we go. You should. And I think yeah. and I think that's what they should do. But I can also see a situation where AEW overthinks themselves and Thunder Rosa gets a win and then they do a rematch in a week and Tony Storm wins the championship. Exactly what happened with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. Basically. The exact way that yeah. Thunder Rosa won the championship. Right. And because they want to give her a big win before she loses it or something because her title reign has been nothing. Again, through no fault of her own, through... No promos, booking, it's all, they've, they've presented it terribly. So I could see them trying to make good by giving her a win here when we expect a title change, only to then do it a few weeks later, like with Thunder Rosa when she won it, and like when uh, Jungle Express, uh, Jurassic Express lost the belts a couple weeks after we thought they were going to lose the belts. So, but I'm going to go with Tony Storm here. <laughs> okay. May, maybe they don't overthink it this time and just do what they're doing. They're clearly in on Tony Storm, which is a good decision. So just, just do it. They like, really, they really should. Yeah. And and by the way, if they're, if they are able to get Sasha Banks from WWE and they bring her in and they can do a Tony Storm, Sasha Banks program, like three, four months from now, then all yeah. of a sudden the women's division's off and running, which it has not been. It has been yeah. really, really, really bad historically. Yeah. All right. Uh, two more matches here. The IWGP heavyweight championship, Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada versus Adam Cole versus Hangman Adam Page. You may say, how though? fuck did we get to this? Well, I'm going to tell you how we got to it. So on Dynamite, we had Hangman against Silas Young. Uh, Cole was on commentary. Young, by the way, is from Ring of Honor. He was making his AEW debut. He's a local guy from Wisconsin. That's why he was in the match. Hangman hit a fallaway slam and laid on the canvas for a moment before kicking up. I really thought he got hurt or something, but I guess he was okay. Young got some chance for being the hometown guy. He tried to hit some really convoluted handstand, shin, springboard, moonsault. Paige just avoided it, hit Buckshot Lariat, and got the win. I was going to gripe about Young being in this match instead of one of AEW's 150 wrestlers, but the hometown thing, it did make sense, and they just really wanted someone for Hangman to beat, and that was totally fine. So after the match, Cole went to do story time 
When White entered saying he's responsible for making Forbidden Door as big as it can be, he said he'd love to do a favor for Bullet Club and Undisputed Elite and let Cole challenge for the title. But Cole straight up lost to Hangman, not once, but twice. This is what I've been saying, by the way. (laughs) Then he entered and he entered the ring, I should say, and said, hey, Hangman, it's not going to be you either. They brawled. Cole joined the attack. Then Cole grabbed the title and threatened to nail them with it when suddenly Kazuchika Okada's music hit, the coin dropped, he got a holy shit chant, the crowd went absolutely bonkers for him, as they should have, that was very cool, he saved Hangman, and the heels eventually ran away. So as I said, Okada's coin drop, that moment, it was the shot in the arm that AEW needed for Forbidden Door. The show is still missing a lot of talent from both companies, but this was a huge get, it was a much needed addition to the card. The other thing that was interesting to me was the stark size differential when <laughs> yes. Okada came out behind yes. Cole. And there's been a lot of talk about Adam Cole and his body type and all that shit. And I don't buy into any of that. I tweeted my thoughts on it. That's done. I don't want to talk about it. But it was very stark to see how big Okada was compared to him and how similarly sized Okada was compared to Hangman. It was like watching Twin Tower shit compared to yeah. Cole and White, both of them. In that moment, I thought, They're not going to do a title match. They're going to do a tag team match. Jay White and Adam Cole against Kazushika Okada and Hangman Adam Page. And to some degree, I got to tell you, I was more excited for that, a tag team match with those four guys, than what we're getting, which is a fatal four-way. I'm not saying this match isn't going to be good. It's going to be a banger. Trust me. But I thought the tag team match was inventive and smart and fun and just something different. As far as the match goes, very simply, Jay White just won the title. The conversation's really not about who's going to win the match. It's rather who's going to take the fall. And I'll tell you who, Adam Cole, baby, Jay White retains, Adam Cole loses. Yeah, I think that the tag team match would have been interesting because it could have been a bit more maybe open-ended on who wins. Because it's a title, IWGP title match, we know Jay White's going to win. So it kind of takes away some of the drama of it. But that, that coin drop, the Okada you know, reveal that was an awesome, awesome moment for AEW. And I, yeah, I had that exact same thought when he got in the ring. I was like, Adam Cole looks like a little baby boy next to Okada. And Okada is obviously a bigger guy, but I also think what he was wearing. Yeah. Some, some guys just look bigger in street clothes. He looked enormous in those clothes. Drew Drew McIntyre is one of these guys. He just looks bigger in street clothes than he does in wrestling gear. I think Okada is the same type of way. I looked up him and Adam Page to try to see what their height difference was because Sometimes it looked like he was, Okada was even much bigger than Page at, at, at moments, just kind of the way he kind of held himself. So he is bigger than Page. Well, he is bigger than Page. Okada's slightly. Six, Okada's a legitimate 6'3. Adam Cole yeah. is billed at 6'0, and he's really 5'9. I mean, I've, right. I've stood next to him. I know how tall I am. So, right. uh, you know, it's not a surprise for Okada to tower over those guys, or yeah. especially Cole. But when yeah. you saw him come out in like a plain white shirt and like pants, and you saw his legs go for miles. You're like, wow, yeah. this is a my, big my first dude. thought. My, yeah, my first thought was, I can't believe Vince McMahon never signed this guy. Like, well, like, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I know. I, I'm know. just saying. My thought was, oh man, giant, awesome dude. Vince would love this. He would, and, and that's been talked about. Like on my old podcast, obviously you weren't a part of, but yeah. previously when I was with Brian Campbell, Nick Costos, Jack Crosby, we said all the time on those shows. Vince has to be drooling yes. over Okada and like beg, wishing that Okada could come to WWE because I know he doesn't speak great English, but that he is the person, the type of guy that Vince would love, right. love to have. 
that was my reaction. And so, like, what, one quick comment about the Cole thing. The, the the size, you can get around that, honestly. It, it's fine. Honestly, my biggest issue with Cole's appearance in AEW has been how pale he looks <laughs> all the time. He's not, the, the fake tanner spray and all this stuff, he's not using it to the level that he used it in NXT, and he just looks weirdly Interesting. pale compared to what he normally does. And I think that takes, I think it makes his beard look worse. I think it makes everything look worse because wrestlers are famously incredibly tan uh, at most times. So sure. that's my only cool thought. Pick is white. Should have some fun one-on-one spots here. Um, and uh, yeah, it should, it should be fun. It, it, <laughs> Who takes you the got, fall? Who takes you the got fall? the big name. Adam Cole is going to take the fall. Okay, so you agree. You got the big name. You got Okada on this show, which you needed to happen. And that's a big sigh of relief compared to where we were a week ago. And lastly, we have the AEW Interim World Championship match. John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. On Dynamite, we had Moxley and Tanahashi against Jericho and Lance Archer backstage during the show. Mox cut a promo saying his match with Tanahashi is personal because he's been chasing him for so long. He said while he respects him now, he won't have respect for him once the bell rings at Forbidden Door. Jericho rolled through Tanahashi's high fly flow into Walls of Jericho. Mox eventually hit Archer with Paradigm Shift before tagging in Tanahashi for another high fly flow and the win. After the match, Mox and Tana stood face to face for like five minutes straight in the ring (laughs) while a million people attacked each other at ringside. And I thought the brawl was stupid, but the sight of those two guys being unaffected and unfazed by everything that was happening around them, like a tornado of shit around them, but they're cool, calm, and collected staring at each other. I loved that visual. I wish I had deep analysis for you on this match because it is the main event and it feels like it's something that we should really deeply talk about. But what I'm going to tell you is Hiroshi Tanahashi is not going to move to the United States and hold that title and appear on Dynamite once a month even. It doesn't make sense. CM Punk is going to be out for a significant period of time. I knew from the, and we knew, probably everyone knew, from the second, the, whatever you want to call it, the um, entire shenanigans of how they would decide an interim champion, as soon as that was all announced, it was very clear that John Moxley was going to win the title. And then I'm forgetting completely, Chris, who won that battle royal on that first Kyle episode O'Reilly. of Dynamite. When Kyle O'Reilly won that battle royal, it confirmed to me that John Moxley was going to be the interim AEW champion. He just had a huge podcast episode released with his wife, Renee Paquette, talking about his time in rehab, a huge feature story on ESPN, talking about his him overcoming addiction from alcohol and, and coming back to AEW and wrestling. They are, there is no possible way that they're doing all of that to put the title on a guy who doesn't live in the United States. John Moxley <laughs> wins yeah. the interim title. Yeah, Moxley's winning this. There honestly was not much talk or hype about the main event title match on the go home in part because there's not really much to do. And it didn't really happen until we had kind of the, the brawl at the end. Honestly, I think that was one of the worst brawls I've seen on a TV go home type of situation. Not only was it awkward with the guys in the ring, but the fighting on the outside was not interesting. There weren't big spots. It was just kind of a whole big mess. So this is going to be a really fun match. We know who's going to win. We, we, we know who's going to win it. Moxley is the interim champ. Makes sense. We all agree they could have done a better path to getting here. Um, but ultimately, it does feel like a main event worthy match yes. on a show like this. And you're happy for Mox to be in that spot. It's a very worthy co-main event. The women's title is a is a very worthy match. And they did a good job 
saving the Zack Sabre Jr. match by, we presume, inserting Cesaro into that. So yes, the card way better than it was uh, 24 hours ago, you know, if we had taped this podcast yesterday. Chris, the last part of this is to give our pre-show expectation grade for AEW NJPW Forbidden Door. And as always, when we do the grades, I let you go first. So go ahead. What is your expectation grade? I am going with a B. And that's not that I don't think I'm not going to like it. But I've said many times that I I, I want shows and, and things that are built around story. Mm-hmm. None of this is really built around story. It's just going to be a bunch of, again, unique matches. And that'll be fun, and I'll, and I'll enjoy it. You know, not at the same level, but WrestleMania Backlash was a show with great wrestling, zero story. It just wasn't my type of deal. I enjoyed it, but I didn't really care about it. That on top of it's been a, it's been a weird type of build. I think the, the, the biggest matches on this card, we already know who's going to win. Um, I'm, I'm going to say B, but that's not, it's, it's not a negative that I think it'll be bad. It's just, it's a B in the sense of what I personally typically like in, in, in my wrestling shows. No, I I agree with that. Uh, I might be, my grade is B as well for the exact same reason, uh, going into a pay-per-view, if I'm going to be really super crazy excited about it, it needs high match quality potential and really good storytelling for what that makes me excited about those and, matches and, and stakes and, and no stakes. stakes. And well, there's a lot of titles, no, there's, 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 but not a lot that we don't think crazy stuff is going to happen on the show. Right. So, so I'm with you at a B now that said a amazing wrestling show, even if there's not a lot of good storytelling, it can still get me to an A. If it's just a, an absolute barn burner, banger after banger after banger show, I'm going to give it an A on Sunday night when this thing is over, but coming into it, my expectation is for a B show, a very good co-branded pay-per-view that has a lot of really good talent on it. And we're going to have some damn good matches. Are all of them going to be great? I don't think so. I think some may fall below expectations. Some may exceed expectations. But because of that exact thought, that's where I am at a B. So I think we're really both aligned on that. And all of you listeners here uh, listening to this right now, and of course, who follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, you will have the opportunity to give us your pre-show expectation grade as well. We will post a Twitter poll before Forbidden Door begins. You'll be able to vote, and we will also have a post-show poll that comes out as soon as the pay-per-view is over, so you guys are able to vote and give us your final grade. Now, as far as our final grades, we can't give that to you now, but Chris and I will give you our final grades on our AEW NJPW Forbidden Door Instant Analysis Podcast that is going to come Sunday night as soon as this show goes off the air. Do not forget about that. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. In case we do a live show on Twitter Spaces, a pre-show, I will tweet about that on Sunday. Yes or no, you guys will get the answer at that time. We had a very long show today. I appreciate Chris joining for the ultimate preview of Forbidden Door. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to remind you that this show, every single episode. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love this show. And again, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will see you Sunday for instant analysis of Forbidden Door. And next week, we have WWE Money in the Bank, a 
full week coming, ultimate preview, instant analysis, the whole nine yards. Do not miss it. But for now, for Vintage, this is the Silver King, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.